Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes, Julie. <laughs> Sorry. <gasps> Weird. What the hell? Oh, strange <laughs> upper respiratory condition. <laughs> Don't mind me. That is not the approach. <laughs> That is not, and I know you're not faking because. No, I totally am. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, so we are going to temporarily change the title of our podcast from happy hour to, should it be cranky hour or <laughs> outrage hour? That's, that's tough. It should be like 60 minutes of hate with Julie and Liz. <laughs> Maybe we should double it maybe it should be like six hours yeah we could be like a poetry slam where you get up and start screaming <laughs> like a rage like a just a rage fest or that what isn't there some like new age therapy where you just like start re- like you literally act out your trauma of being born or something like I feel like that like I have this primal rage <laughs> in me right now we could all be that hideous looking he she with the glasses on who like had that guttural scream after Donald Trump was inaugurated. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's good times. Good times. I forgot about that. Yeah, oh. I think that's kind of where we are right now. But OK, so it's Thursday afternoon and we're all in lockdown <laughs> and <laughs> Uh, yeah. So why don't you start today with whatever you think and may perhaps uh, let people know about the president's briefing today if you watched it. I did watch it and I watched most of it. I had to stop after a while because it goes on. And I think Trump likes to let the media sort of expose themselves by taking more questions than he should um, so I eventually just turned it off because I, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I mean, really, I'm beginning to think that people should limit their exposure to socially distance from just media as a whole, <laughs> right? I mean, yes. I'm, I find myself wavering between panic, fear, anger, just all of these really intense feelings um, over the news and the way things are being spun. And anyway, so the president gave a... Uh, briefing today. We we always get a briefing from the coronavirus, or I'm um, excuse me, the Chinese virus. <gasps> you racist. I racist. <laughs> the Chinese virus task force that we hear from, which I think is really good. I actually mm-hmm. kind of think it's better when Trump isn't in it and it's more focused on the scientists because then then the media look even dumber trying to gotcha them because these are actually credentialed career scientists and experts. But today the president came out, he spoke, he talked about how they've been fast tracking a lot of experimental drugs that they're um, opening up, uh, putting, getting more masks out there. He really just charted the progress that they've made. Um, I think one really important thing to take away from this, I guess in whenever it ends in five years, if we're, if we're, any of us are alive still is just a tremendous amount of red tape and regulation that prevent mm-hmm. the government from allowing the citizenry to, to act swiftly and with innovation. Um, 
So there were all sorts of restrictions about the masks, how many masks could be made, how many hospitals could get them. There's restrictions about doctors. Like they lifted the restrictions about doctors practicing between states because that's also not allowed. There's just so many things that are designed allegedly in the name of safety, but probably not necessarily always uh, in the for really for safety. So anyway, the president kind of gave us an update of what's going on. More people are sick because more people are getting tested. So there's like this tote board, like when I was a kid and we would have the um, Jerry Lewis telethon and there would be like a tote board. I feel like all the media is like, you know, they have that big trumpet, like what are the new numbers? And then they reveal (laughs) and they're so excited. Oh my God, we're almost 200 people dead. Yay. It's just right. The whole thing is just so macabre. So anyway, that was kind of pretty much what Trump said. And he has his experts there. And of course, it's the the content of those press conferences are really secondary, secondary to the media's behavior. Right. I'm much more I'm distracted by these shrieking vultures out there Mm -hmm. just like, you know, whenever he calls on someone, I don't know. It's it's so just we like, saw we saw the one reporter yesterday. I think she was ABC News. I've got to check her name. So she was. I mean, you me she was that ready. One? To, yeah, she was ready to jump out of her chair at the, uh, you know, just demanding to know why Donald Trump continues to call it the Chinese virus, claiming that. <laughs> Asian Americans are being discriminated against because of it. Right. Like we see this play out all the time. Um, And he did not, he didn't only just not push it up. He He ratcheted it up. Right. Right. So apparently he opened the presser with that today and that sent the media again into just, you know, hysteria mode. But Liz, how don't are people discriminating think- when we're all locked up? Like, where are these acts of discrimination taking place? Like, in what context? Everybody is locked up. Right. So where is it? Also, that one harpy that was talking about how someone at the White House called it the Kung Flu or something like and. Did you hear right. about that? They said someone, I I can't, I think it was Yamichi. I don't know who these people are because you really don't usually see them on camera. But this one lady asked several times if, if how, what Trump thought about someone in the White House who had told, called it the Kung flu in front of this reporter. Now, of course, we could not find out who that was. She, she wouldn't name the person. Um, and Kellyanne not. Conway ripped her up one side and down the other. And she kept right. saying, well, who is it? Why are you, why are you, de- why are you protecting the racist? I mean, in what right. situation would these people ever protect the, a racist? Never. We couldn't get a name. So it probably wasn't someone real, but anyway, tr- Trump is, Trump has been very good handling these, um, little meaty harpies. So go ahead, Julie. Didn't mean to de- derail you. No, but don't you think. I sense that this is kind of inverted. So the more hysterical the media becomes, it's a gauge of how well Trump is doing and handling this. So that's why you saw really this pivot away from just getting facts and data plans, mitigation plans to this week, exposing so many of them as propagandists for the Chinese government. 
and insisting that this not be tagged to China, which defies reality. And they're really now pushed into a corner of once again, humiliating themselves, not giving information to the public becoming the stars themselves, right? So like you said, usually you don't see them, but we keep seeing them this week. And then tweeting out, you know, Jim Acosta today, his first tweet, the president opened his presser with Chinese virus. And this is why, of course, they've burned their credibility repeatedly over the past four years, especially with the Russian collusion hoax. But this is why people have reason to be very skeptical about the information that we're getting from the American news media. Well, how Um, serious is it if those are your questions? That's right. Like if it's, if it were really serious, we would be getting really specific, tactical, useful information about this, about the ground condition. And instead what we're getting is racist. You used a word I didn't like. I heard a story from somebody who used a word I didn't like. And now Jim Acosta, I mean, these why would anyone think this is serious? And if you even believe them, right? I mean, I don't know who's left to believe them. Ridiculous. Right. And so that's one part of it. But I think an even more alarming situation is watching politicians now one up each other on these draconian, very destructive measures to what they call flatten the curve. And we could talk a little bit about, because I've been immersed in some other data related to this over the past few days. Um, The curve, first of all, is not complete at all because you know that this disease was introduced into America January 21st at the very latest, right? So we, we know that this disease was taking hold in China in December Again, at the latest, probably earlier, you have about 14,000 Americans per day traveling between America, the U.S. and China. That travel was suspended on January 31st. But when you're looking at a curve and you see the numbers begin on March 1st and they keep escalating, there's no data available before March 1st to say mid-January. And it's impossible it defies science and reason to believe that there were no cases of COVID-19, Wuhan flu, whatever you want to call it, between January 15th and March 1st. Well, there's no there's no denominator, right? Like when you're calculating these things, you always need the denominator of a fraction, which is who are all the people that were infected to calculate how many people died, how many people needed hospitalization. We don't, we don't, have that number. We're probably never going to have that number because we're going to pretend that this just came into the United States. I don't know, like March 1st or something instead of, you know, probably November. And honestly, I mean, the Chinese say November 17th, but I'm like, okay, so September, right? I mean, right. That's right. You can't take any of that, but also the curve, we see the curve. Another thing is that as this became more serious, testing ramped up. So does that curve reflect also the amount of tests that were being completed. I mean, how does that influence the curve as well? If I'm only doing 500 tests a day, that I'm not going to have the same amount of positives than I do if I do 10,000 tests a day or 1,000 tests a day. Right. There, It doesn't seem like there's information about the number of tests. And look, even the CDC, in terms of influenza reporting, they 
I mean, they have some, they have some solid data about number of say influenza tests that were administered. Most of them come back negative, even though people have flu-like symptoms, right? And they have a wide variance between the number of people suspected of having the flu in any given season, the number of hospitalizations. If you go to the CDC website right now, you are going to see that they report between 22,000 and 55,000 Americans have died of the flu this flu season. That is a huge gap. Well, how many people go and get tested and or go to the hospital emergency room when they think they have the flu? I don't know about you, but I would not do that unless I was unless I was sick for more than like a week or two and I had a fever, a really bad fever for a long That's time. Right. A lot of people just they have the flu. It sucks. They power through it, but they don't go into any official place to register themselves as I have the flu, the 2019 right. to 2020 season. Right. Or so a lot of this is um, very it's difficult. Guessing. A yeah, lot it's guessing. very difficult to quantify mm -hmm. this. And I, we won't be able to do it until we're looking at this in the in the rearview mirror if our society still exists. Well, that's the danger. And, you know, even you look at the death rates, uh, you know, I think of as of today, I checked the website, it's 150 roughly Americans who have died. To be honest, it's hard to determine whether this was the specific virus, because of course you could have a few viruses that, that propel your death. And, um, almost half of them were in the state of Washington, which is also interesting. You see the hubs of where this virus is mostly contained. It's in the states that have the highest Asian American population percentage. And that's, that's not racist. It's just facts. So when you look at Washington, California, New Jersey, and New York, those are four of the top six states in the country with the highest population of Asian Americans. But they're also travel places. I mean, that's where people come in, right? They're right. coastal. That's right. Those are right. major cities. It's not like we're not seeing it in the middle of like Nowhereville, Kansas or something. We're seeing right. it these large, you know, sort of ports, if you will, like American ports of entry. Right. So at any rate, it's interesting as someone who's followed a lot of scientific issues. And I think that that's why I'm super skeptical about this, whether it's, you know, Julia, you think it's a hoax like President Trump? <laughs> um, I, I'm very curious as to why the scientific community, which claims to be able to determine what the global temperature was in 1876, has not bothered to do any modeling about what the number of cases were of this disease between January one and March one of this year. Um, that strikes me as a huge missing gap of information on which to base these really harsh, draconian, liberty-crushing, you know, uh, wealth-crushing measures that we see our politicians on both sides of the aisle, quite frankly, making right now. Well, I think it's it it's kind of unfortunate when we have a situation like this where these government agencies, and I really dislike almost every go all government agencies, but I have a particular hatred for the CDC and the Food and Drug Administration, like right under Intel community, you know, like right, right after like one and then almost 1.5 on my list is CDC FDA. Right. And these are people who have an interest in perpetuating these kinds of things to justify their job and to justify their budget. I'm not that look, I'm not saying they make it. I'm saying that 
a lot of things get done. A lot of requests were made. A lot of scenarios are painted in ways that aren't necessarily altruistic, that they're, you know, good for their, their, their division, you know, whether it's more funding, more power, these people love expanding their power and expanding their portfolios to include even more things that they can get a bigger budget for. Again, I'm not, I I don't mean to say that these folks are, you know, evil or lying. I just think that one of the problems that you have in government is that you have these agencies constantly being forced to kind of justify themselves before an audience of people who are writing the checks that fund them. So again, you have very active, very, this is dire, look how important we are, you know, let's give us more power so we can do a better job at distributing crucial supplies, things like that. So I always get my hackles up when the check, the government checkbook comes out and the government checkbooks come out when there's a crisis, right? That's how we do it. Right. And that is, I mean, I guess it's a good, it's a necessary mitigation strategy right now. But look, this is going to be the template now. This is going to set such a dangerous precedent because this is going to happen again. Whether it's coronavirus or like influenza B strain this year, which has been way overlooked how deadly that has been to children and teenagers, especially virulent this year, that's been completely overlooked. But this is going to be the new precedent. And unfortunately, we see a lot of people who should be challenging these stringent measures. Um, I think, quite frankly, too afraid to challenge the information and the data that we have and are just willingly like, oh, it's only two weeks. And I know you and I have kind of, we can dig into that a little bit more. Well, two weeks to the owner of a local restaurant is no, an you're eternity. Done. You're done. That's exactly right. I mean, the stock market has lost what almost what, everything 40% it gained of under Trump. Everything, all, all the gains. I mean, it's up a little bit right now. It looks like it's, um, I don't. It's not surging, but it's not falling. So we're, it's up like five hundred points. So, and it could bounce back quickly. I know that there are people out there saying. I think it was uh, Fred Smith, the former head of FedEx, said this will be a V recovery, right? So we'll crash really hard. We'll come back up. You see other estimates in the second quarter of a negative 14, 15% economic growth, you know, regardless that will be used against Donald Trump. But the other, yeah, the the other thing is hopefully this will be a quick economic recovery, but um, if it is, that will, that will embolden these mini tyrants all over the country, even more. Because they will say, look, we can shut everything down for as long as we want. You know, we can put limitations, whether it's two, you know, went from social distancing to 200 people to 50 now to 10 without any justification or basis for it. But anyway, this will almost embolden them like, oh, well, everybody took the hit. It's okay. We could just do this. What? Twice twice a year. I'm not sure they're going to be able to get away with it with it again because I'm not sure they're going to entirely get away with it this time because people are going to be really angry. I I mean, I appreciate the stock market. I'm so proud of it. I think it's definitely a great victory for for the president. But my real issue is with the small, medium sized businesses that is not reflected in the stock market. So these are the restaurants. These are even gig workers, right? That Uber or Lyft people around uh, small boutiques, small stores. I have friends that do like 
make meals for people, like kind of a catering, you know, the, but mm-hmm. like those blue apron, but not blue apron, like local people. Mm-hmm. I have friends that have businesses. Some of them are fitness trainers or there's a lot of people that cannot survive for a month without income. And, and so the, right. and there's no recovery. There's no recovery for that. While we, we, when we waited out after a month, they're either their workers have gone somewhere else or their workers are already have not been able to pay their rent. They haven't been able to pay their bills that everybody gets hit very hard here in the middle class, in this small and medium sized business arena. So yes, I'm sorry. The stock market's down. And I know that every, I, what is it? 60% of America has money in 401ks that are invested in the stock market. So it's very important, but I don't know if you could pull this off again, where we just wipe out an entire or severely damage That's all right. of these small to medium-sized businesses. I just I think people are just going to start burning things down at that point. And there's a bigger danger here too. I mean, we keep kind of piling on here, but what you see is this singular focus. So they take so these politicians, these government leaders, take away every other distraction. This is the model that I find really alarming. So there's no other distractions. You can't go shop. You can't go outside of your house. Um, you can't socialize with other people. You can't watch sports. You can't go shop. Any yeah. of the pe- things that people use as a distraction from from political news, they're go- it's completely gone. So everyone is fixated on this one thing, which is designed to fuel and foster this panic What was interesting is watching Andrew Cuomo today, who I think, you know, he's a power hungry guy, right? And he likes to hear himself. He's He's very, he, he he is, um, I think, and look, New York state has been hit hard. I mean, hit harder by this. Uh, I don't think that their death rates any, it's certainly not as high as Washington states, um, which most of also those were from that nursing home. It's, it's no, no Wuhan. Wuhan. That's right. Um, and he's Italian, right? So they take the situation, anybody who is Italian, and you talk to people who are relatives there, they take that situation, really, they take it very hard, right? Because that's their ancestral home, and that's just how Italians are, so that's fine. Um, but after imposing these really dr- draconian measures, Cuomo, you saw today he kind of started to eat his words a little bit and walk back. Because he was saying, and this is almost a direct quote, the fear is worse than the virus. And he said he has these business people calling saying, is the state going to be shut down? Are we going to be, you know, in this self-imposed quarantine, this lockdown or whatever they call it? And he was pushing back on that saying, no, why would you ever think that? You know, and it's like, well, why do you think? (laughs) Because for the past week, you've helped fuel that. And so you saw him kind of walk back, I think, in a very diplomatic way today, trying to downplay this hysteria that he and other governors, Republican and Democrat, um, have helped create. Oh, yeah. Well, they're going to have to walk it back at some point, because when people don't see corpses being dragged out into the middle of the street, because that's the level of hysteria we've been asked to sort of be except as the state of the nation, right? This shrieking. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to downplay that this is very serious and that it can 
kill kills certain people if you're an older person that has pre-existing conditions, if you have respiratory problems already. However, however, we do need to calibrate the ways in which we can we can keep the people safe who are most vulnerable while not utterly destroying our entire country and the economy. And I feel like that hasn't been done. I And, and the reason it hasn't been done is because I really blame them a lot of the media for this. I mm-hmm. think it's in their interest to use anything. Well, let's back up. Anything that happens during on Trump's watch is exploited to the maximum amount for against him, no matter right. what, just the most mundane things. Not that this is a mundane thing, but everything is exploited for a political like gain against Trump. You even have, I, I think um, there's a bunch of dark money groups spending $5 million on ads in swing states, ripping Trump on his response to the coronavirus already, right? Already, right. we're not even at the peak and we're already, you know, people are jockeying about how to turn this into a political advantage. So I, I, I think because there's this drama, this need for drama, almost this, because of the, daily Russia collusion and now that's over and mm-hmm. then the Mueller thing and we went from these constant roller coasters of oh we have a new leak ups an anonymous source in the admin there's uh, they're running on this adrenaline all the time so now everything the bar gets raised every time they want a new s- scandal so to speak and also you know I think it's convenient to some of our leftist friends to sort of uh, wipe out some of our economic systems <laughs> Oh, for sure. I mean, you could see some of them gloating like uh, the other day. All of the Trump uh, stock market gains have been erased. And then you see these Russian. Okay, so let's talk about that, too. The report that was published in Politico, I think it was over the weekend, that claimed that the same Russian collusion hucksters, Susan Rice, uh, Lisa Monaco, et cetera, um, gave a briefing to the Trump transition team on January 13th of 2017. Now, this would have been the week after the infamous dossier P-tape briefing, warning them about a pending uh, pandemic and outlining all of the risks associated. They even had this, like, PowerPoint presentation that they allegedly presented to the Trump transition team. So that just came out. You have op-eds by Susan Rice, who is one of the most nefarious public officials in at least a generation. Uh, She probably should be in jail, I think, for for treason for what she did after the Benghazi attacks, because she gave aid and comfort to the enemy by lying to the American public six weeks before a presidential election about what happened, the true story, what happened there. So at any rate, um, you have these same players coming out, criticizing the president, making up stories about what he did or didn't do, claiming that his transition team was completely disinterested in this information that they were giving. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Obama administration that dragged their feet on the H1N1 epidemic in, 20, in 2009, which killed how many people? How many Americans? Oh, 12,000? Yeah, it's th- almost 13,000 Americans. That's right. So, of course, and I think, you brought up a comparison about the media coverage then versus now. Um, do you even remember? No, Julie, do you? I no, be, I, I don't. I, I don't do remember. Remember the no. H1N1 hysteria. I mean, very vaguely. I'm like, oh, yeah, swine flu, blah, blah, blah. I, it wasn't until I went back and looked at the CDC numbers and I was like, oh, my God, there were a lot of people died from this. But 
again, I was thinking, what would they do? Oh, well, okay. Well, I had a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, so maybe that's why I was. You were but right. you would well, think I that would make. I didn't know about it either. Nervous. It wasn't just that nobody people. I really had to scratch my head, and I mean, I have no excuse. I I was like, I was in the media. I was like, I don't know. I don't never heard of it. So anyway, yeah. But you, so you have these same people spreading out all over cable news and in the New York Times and the usual places, condemning Trump, claiming that they were on top of it, that they briefed the president. He didn't pay attention. Right? We saw this the whole thing with the Russian election interference. Um. And so this is their new, their latest ruse. And so it, again, and you have somebody like Mike McFall, who was an Obama advisor, right? So he's out on Twitter the last two days demanding a national lockdown. Based on what? These people are not, they're not only not trustworthy, they have been complicit in trying in the coup. They are dangerous people, should not be trusted. And the more that they talk and open their mouths, the more suspicious we all should be. The same people, the the usual suspects, you know who I'm talking about, the 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 Susan Rice's, the mm-hmm. um that whole little cabal of oh. Obama sycophants, they need to be just immediately disregarded. They should not be given any kind of platform to talk to to opine about things. Especially because they're not asked about their own performance during H1N1, where Obama waited, what, six months and a thousand dead people to call a national emergency? Right. He waited. He waited. A thousand people had died. We have 150 dead. And it's like every five minutes we have like a macabre, you know, dancing on the grave by these uh celebrity political media figures about how horrible it is that Trump did this. And, but they were too busy impeaching Trump to pay attention to it. I mean, Trump actually was quite prescient, uh, but he'll never get credit for that. That's right. uh, How can you, I, I just think it's, it's a really curious position for us to be in where we, we have some kind of very serious health crisis going on in our country that involves a contagion and we cannot trust any a word out of the mainstream media's mouth that because it's all tainted with a political you know to gain a political upper hand i mean that is a scary scary thing and what's also funny is to see all of these people who have accused Trump of trampling on the Constitution, acting like a dictator, authoritarian, um, which, of course, there's no evidence to back that up at all. He's the one who's been subjected to the trampling of the Constitution and the (laughs) crossing of boundaries between executive, legislative, judicial branch. He's been the one targeted by that. Um, Now, all of a sudden, they're wanting to know why he's acting not acting more like a dictator and directing every state, every locality, every private business, what to do right now. Um, so well, that's Liz, like li- they need they need to go back to school and understand how our government is structured. I, I, I mean, first and foremost, Trump can't win. If he does nothing, he's doing nothing. If he does something, it's too much. He's a fascist. But the fact is that the president really can't tactically do a lot. He can free up resources. He can try and make sure regulations are out of the way. But again, this is a state issue. This is a local needs to be handled best at the state and local level by politicians who know their state and local environment. And I've seen all of these blue check marks on Twitter shrieking, oh, looks like the governors are picking up the slack. And it's like, uh, did you not 
Did you sleep through your government class? That's exactly how it's supposed to be. The governors are supposed to have every office at your state level is supposed to have an emergency crisis act for a variety of scenarios that are common. Natural disaster, evacuation, air, air crash, all fires. They're supposed to have these plans and all these uh, government, I'm sorry, all these political blue check marks and media celebrities who love centralized power because that's what they want is like a very strong executive. They, they get confused when Trump says to the governors, what do you need? Like what, how, how does Trump know what California needs? He's not in California. How does Trump know what Montana needs? He's not Montana. These are all this. Most of this should be handled tactically at a state level. It's very frustrating to see people. And of course, as everything it's used as a as as against the president that that's right he's allowing these people to do their job which is run their state so liz let's fast forward uh say a week from now let's fast forward to the end of next week so it's march whatever that is 27th 28th um the number of cases continue to escalate, but the dire consequences in terms of fatalities, overrun ICUs, lack of hospital beds, lack of supplies, none of that is materializing. What what happens then? Well, I just want to say we have one more day until Tom Bossert, former right. Trump deep derp stater and mm-hmm. former Trump administration official before I think he was fired, removed, quit. Um, you know, he said that our hospital system was going to break under mm-hmm. it. And, you know, and I don't know, I'm not seeing that. And I think in a week, I don't know what we're going to see. I just don't know how many people are going to sit tight when we don't have the body count piling up. I mean, right. how long are you? Oh, we're we're adults. And um, so we're not like these younger college kids, the ones that are on the beach. But really, how long are people going to put their life on hold, watch their business go under if we're not seeing you know, some empirical evidence about why these sacrifices are necessary. Well, and plus they keep, we keep seeing this 14 day window. Well, I feel like every day I see 14 days, like I've been seeing it for the past week. And if they're legitimately going off what they can think was the first community transmitted example of it, which would have been towards the end of February, we're, we're way past that. So this four, and then you have some people who are saying 14 days. I think Cuomo shut down the schools. Well, I think till at least the 20th or um, de Blasio shut down the New York city schools till the 20th of April. Um, I think that was the last information I saw, but um, I, I tend to agree with you because when you talk to normal people, business owners or just whomever, I mean, I'm in the Chicago suburbs, you talk to normal people, they are far more concerned about the implications of the government action than they are of catching this virus or watching it spread to their grandparents or parents or whomever. I mean, that is, that's the biggest menace. And so I think this day by day, even if the case, the number of reported cases continues to increase. If the dire outcomes are not reported, and Liz, you know this, if the ICUs either in Seattle or New York City or anywhere in California were being overrun, right, and people were pouring out of emergency rooms, running out of bed space, um, the news media would be all over it. Where are they instead? They're at Costco watching people go crazy over toilet paper. 
they would be outside of every emergency room if this were the case right now. Well, they now, will be. I mean, that's possible. Let's say, I don't know what, I, I think after the, they get tired of this, like after they can't bleed what they've, they have that the current situation for, for, for much or gets tired, they're going to go up a level, right? And up a level is they're going to be interviewing people outside emergency rooms. Well, you've already seen some of these stories where people are like, I think I had the coronavirus and I called my doctor and he was like, there's no reason to test you and I can't get tested. Oh, the humanity. You've seen those and you've seen people say, I had a fever. I I'm coughing. My body aches. Um, and they won't let me get tested. So we're, we're, we're moving already into this sort of auto ethnographies, if you will, where people start telling their stories of woe. And then we're going to get to the point where they're literally like in the hospital morgues, just talking and to the, you know what I mean? Like talking to the pathologist being like, what killed him? Was it, was it the, was it the, I'm was sorry, the COVID-19 the or 17, you know, like the pot, the PC name, not the Chinese virus. I, I do think they're going to ratchet up. It's going to be like, when the media was, was, um, cataloging every single coffin that came off a plane from one of these, the neocon wars, right? Every single one would account it, do sob stories. We're talking about their family. That, that is something that might happen, you know, that the media might go down that route. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think they already are kind of. Well, and I do think that the autopsy of this, I mean, literally, figuratively speaking, not literally, but once the dust settles on this, and it it could be months now, um, to look back at what was predicted, what didn't happen, um, how the media conducted itself, the people who were involved in fueling the hysteria, um, and how quickly regular Americans surrendered their freedom and liberty, because let's be honest, they didn't want to be shamed into doing anything else, right? You saw this, well, ma- you see this massive group think, right? Um, even from people who claim to be wartime conservatives, um, there, and there is evidence that this also is tied to the climate movement. I mean, oh, yeah. the climate people, if anyone trusts anything out of the World Health Organization, and I've covered uh, some of that too, they are not to be trusted. They are in the pocket of the most radical extreme environmental environmentalists around the world. They are climate change propagandists. They want us to stop eating meat. They want to ban the use of fossil fuels. This This could not have been better planned for well, the people at the remember, World Health Organization. January, was, it, was it January 14th when they told the world that you couldn't get this virus from human to human? They literally mm-hmm. tweeted that out. They tweeted it That's and right. told the world you cannot get the Chinese virus from human to human contact. January 14th. That's what they said to the world. So mm-hmm. again, they are agreed. That, that, is, that is the problem that we have on on the right side of the political spectrum is that we look at these institutions that have names that sound very important and full of gravitas that are in fact just really violent partisans. And the World Health Organization is one of those. You can't Mm -hmm. trust anything they say. Plus you see all these articles about how, oh my gosh, look how the carbon emission was down in China when they were welding people into their homes and dragging them forcibly (laughs) into hospitals and burning their corpses. I mean, right. Look at, look at how the carbon, look at the map. Look at, there's no carbon Mm -hmm. emission. 
this is this is the <laughs> I mean that's right if that, this if is a dream come true for them yeah this legitimate halting air travel right around the world there's gonna be no pollution gonna be from cars no cars you know it's because everything they've ever wanted at the root of the radical environmental movement is anti-capitalist right so that's why aside from their bogus claims about uh reducing um carbon emissions they also hate capitalism. So they are thrilled to see businesses shut down. They are thrilled to see the stock market crashing. This is exactly what they've envisioned, what they've tried to enact on, first it was global warming, now it's climate change. This is a dream come true for them and they are going to do whatever they can and they're going to use their billionaire ben benefactors, world leaders you know, who also are climate propagandists like Emmanuel Macron or uh, um, uh, Angela Merkel, they're going to, they are going to drag this out as much as possible. This is the dystopia that they have imagined for 50 years. Well, we'll see how long people are willing to put up with it and we'll see how long Trump puts well, up Trump with it. is the key. That's right. I think he's, I think part of him, and I do understand this, that, you know, he's scared. I'm sure there's a lot of people with a lot of medical degrees and, and letters behind their name and prestigious associations yeah. telling him, look, there's going to be, do you want to be, do you want 2 million dead people on your watch? You know, like they're scared, you know, they're showing him these scary numbers where there's this constant exponential growth. Like every day it's, you know, quadrupling and pretty soon everyone's going to be dead and that's on you. I think part of him is scared about it. And I think it took him a bit to realize he can't handle this. Like, obviously he doesn't trust a lot of people around him at these agencies, but, and I think at first he was skeptical, but then he's, they start, he's, you know, he gets scared. I'm sure they're showing him video of all the, you know, corpses piling up in Iran and in China. And, and so he acts and, and unfortunately, you know, we're going to see he, he's going to have to put his foot down at some point and say, hey, why don't we just wait it out and see how things go before we start? Because every industry is going to expect a bailout. I mean, how can you say the airplane right. industry is not as important as the hotel industry, industry or, the or the hotel industry or the cruise mm -hmm. industry or right. retail? These are all mm -hmm. big corporations, too. They aren't even small, medium sized businesses. Right. So. Well, and I do, I do think one of the most damaging initiatives that I hope that Trump reconsiders soon is the CDC guidelines about gatherings of 50 people or more over the next eight weeks. That seems to be, have done a lot of damage. It's led to the cancellation and economic damage and emotional damage. You know, let's not just pretend that this is an emotional and economic issue. I mean, this is, having harsh consequences on the collective psyche of the country and individuals too. So at some point, if once this starts to subside, they really need to re-examine or at least justify where'd you get the 50 people number? Where did you get the eight week timetable? Because that seems to exceed anything else that we've been told about the spread of the contagion level of this. That is going to have to be reconsidered. I hope that Trump and the White House does that within the next few weeks, um, because these blanket orders uh, really, I think, just put people in a mindset of of doom when it probably isn't justified at all. Well, again, how long are people going to let this let this keep going? Like, how long are they willing to watch their businesses go away? Their kids aren't in school. That's okay, right. Okay, so they have to deal with kids not in school and 
the schools, some schools, I guess, on a state-by-state basis may kick back into gear, but I'm not sure how you can say it's it's any more safer for them to go back to school in four weeks if you're not going to also do a bunch of other things at the same time, like allow people to congregate in restaurants or um, you know group events. So there, there's that. And, and also, I don't know how much money they think they have to just keep bailing That's people right. out where nope. they say like, okay, we're going to put a hold on, you know, rent. It's okay if you can't pay your rent. Really? Well, what about your landlord? How are they going to make right. their mortgage? I mean, it's people, especially these young millennial idiots, they just have no concept how ec- economics work. So they're like, I don't want to, I don't think I should have to pay my rent. Well, you know, your landlord has to pay the bank. What about that? Or they don't see the chain reaction. So I'm just not sure how many of the normal people, the middle class, are are going to sit back and again sit in their house, watch their watch their retirement go up mm-hmm. in smoke in right. the the stock market, see their business destroyed, deal with their their kids. Now, what summer's coming up? What if are what are they going to do? There, there's no summer jobs for them. I don't know. Do they still get jobs in the summer like when we were kids? Julie, probably not. But I'm afraid still, not. No. The problem. Well, okay. <laughs> so I don't know what they do in the summer. I guess just get drunk and hang out. But Right. There's no, there's no camp for kids like tweens. There's not going to be summer camp. Nope. What do you do? It's just, it's I mean, really what like- do you do? I'm, I mean, I have a high schooler and a college student. My daughter goes to Syracuse. They shut down the school for the rest of the year. We have to figure out how to get all of her belongings out of her dorm in New York, get all that done. I mean, my teenager and is still in high school. They shut down the schools in Illinois. You're talking about being off for five months. Five months. What do you and mean? I was what, right. What would, I don't know. They're doing well, online great online classes, which can only last so long. But okay, fine. Then that's over in a few months. You're talking about having mil- tens of millions of children, teenagers, basically idle for five months. That's what I'm saying. Is what would you do in the summer? Like all of the things that you would normally do with a kid in the summer. I'm just thinking of my own childhood, where I went to summer camp. Or I had, well, I don't think I had a job in high school, but you know, I went to summer camp. I went, I went to tennis camp. I went to horseback ride. You know, I did stuff. Now I can't, you can't do that anymore. So what do you do with your kids? It's just like, right. you, it, it's, it's, it's very disruptive. And again, there, there has to be a payoff for the sacrifice. And if that doesn't start showing, and I even wonder how long if they could say, oh, we've suppressed the curve. And then people are like, okay, then we're, we're then spring us, you know, like open the gates, let us out. Right. And they're right. like, oh, no, 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 we have to, we have to do it for six more weeks just to make sure. That's right. That's like, right. How, how, how are people going to just swallow this? I think that's where the media comes in with their hysteria, leveling it up. And, oh, I saw people going into the emergency room. Their eyes were bleeding. Their arms were falling off. Was it Joe Biden? Yeah. No, I know. Hey, speaking of that, where's Joe Biden been? Okay. So did you see his weird speech? (laughs) No. Was it the hologram Joe Biden? Like giving his speech (laughs) without winning? He did. And then he oddly stood there. And then Jill Biden came on to the podium. This was after Tuesday, uh, Tuesday's elections, which we had here in Illinois. Um, she kind of came off <laughs> and he was like, oh, hey, like, you know, when did you get here? Like Elizabeth Warren pretending, you know, her oh, husband. Can I, wife. How about I get a beer? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so just painful and uh, awkward to watch. And so 
look, this is not going to be good for him either. He's the last guy who should be off the campaign trail because he's going to be so out of practice by just standing in front of whatever camera and pretending he's talking to people. Um, so yeah, I, well, you would think that this is, if someone were a real savvy politician, they could use this as an opportunity to kind of shadow Trump and, and do a better job, so to speak. If, if you were, I guess in physical shape to do it, like, you know, if you were physically fit enough to, you know, make public appearances, that's why I was talking about Cuomo, who's, you know, I don't, I don't like him, but he's doing a really good job. He's mm-hmm. out there. He's talk, telling people specific things. He's answering his questions. He looks like he's a problem solver. You know, if you, where, why isn't Joe Biden out there doing stuff too? He, he's just sending emails, like trying to fundraise off this. And then they're running, commercials in swing states saying that, you know, Trump is the one who put the bat in Wuhan that poisoned everybody, you know, <laughs> they're trying to get a political advantage. So I'm just curious. We haven't heard much from, from Biden. Um, that's kind of a surprise. There's Bernie. That's how they want it. That's how they, they well, want it. Obviously. It has to be like that. But then, I mean, there's going to be, have to be debates and I just don't, I just don't know how he's going to hold up against Trump, but the, the media and the Democrats are doing their best so yes. anyway, we are 48 minutes in, Julie. So I thought we sh- w- should wind it down. Okay. Let's, I, let's slower. Slow, slow down. down. I hope th- that this was cathartic for you. It kind of was for me a little bit, but I don't it's, know. So can we change? What do we change our name back from? Just irritated hour? We're just like, we're just like <laughs> meh Agitated hour. from Just <laughs> meh, meh. Meh hour. Uh, okay. I like that. Uh, malaise. Malaise hour. <laughs> Um, so this is the part of the show where we do our one new thing or one special new thing. So Mm. we started this last week. I forgot to remind you. So I'll go first so you can think of your thing. So my one thing is I just started reading a book inspired by our national crisis here called China Rx, which was written in 2008 18, sorry. So it's not that new, but it's not that old either. And it's all about the risk of America's dependence on China for medicine. And um, I highly recommend it. I'm about 50 pages in and I need a Xanax because it's really terrifying the extent to which our medical supply is tied into China and not just our medical supply with our active ingredients, but also a lot of the fillers and all the elements that go into making a pill or a capsule. Those all come from China too. So scary. Let's hope that some cooler heads prevail in the middle of this tragedy. And one of the things we can take away is we can absolutely start extricating ourselves from China as far as medicine goes, as far as anything in our emergency supply chain. We just G we whatever we get the F out of them and just say, see ya. So that is my one new thing. China RX, Rosemary Gibson, and also um, Singh, Jarat, Jarandan. Prasad Singh is the other authors, but Rosemary Gibson, China RX, you can find on Amazon. Okay, Julie, you're on. Wow. That's pressure. That's a lot of pressure to put <laughs> on me. Um, okay, so last week I did wine. So I feel like I shouldn't do that again because then <laughs> I'll just look like a wino, which I am, but let me think of something else. Um, so everyone's gyms are closed down. So I have a home gym, which is fine, but everybody who has one knows how boring that is. So I just started something called, uh, well, not 
Pilates is not new. I've done it before, but it's reformer Pilates. So you do Pilates on the reformer machine, which back in the day used to be called like the my gym, you know, like it's got the cables and the, it looks like a medieval torture device. Actually. I know it's great for you and it's much better than like floor Pilates for you, but it does look like scary. So I hate Pilates and yoga because I'm like a, I'm like a cardio weights person. Like I'd much rather do something like that or do something outside. Like I play tennis or run or whatever. Pilates and yoga is just so boring to me. Plus I'm like long, so I'm not a flexible person. And everyone's like, well, if you just do yoga, you'll get, uh, no, I won't. Okay. I'm not going to become more flexible. Just, it's not happening. But I like the reformer because it does put a little bit more like muscle into it and it gives some really good stretches, especially for those of us who work at home and are on a computer or Twitter or all day. over like all exactly. typing away. Yeah. So it's kind of new. And luckily the little studio here is run by my uh, friend of mine and there's no more than six people. So we're not violating any of our government, you know, dic- diktat about, uh, you know, how many people can get together. So anyway, as somebody who's resisted Pilates for the better part of the last two decades, I finally found one that I like. So if somebody's looking for something new to do, um, maybe you could check out one of those studios near your home. That sounds like a good idea. Remember one of Julie and I, Julie and I have a friend that just told us yesterday that his illegal gym got busted by the cops. <laughs> I was like, what, what is an illegal gym? Cause I guess my mindset hadn't gotten entirely into the lockdown or the semi lockdown. Right. And he's like, you, you know, he's in Florida and he's like, yeah, we're, we're not allowed. To, there's, there's, we have a, we have like a secret gym. You know, like I imagine fight club, like don't talk about fight club. Like don't talk about our secret gym. That's like if you're going to have something illegal, a gym is probably like at the <laughs> bottom of my list. Like I'd be like an illegal speakeasy, like a moonshine factory, a Chardonnay producing. Like it's not going to be a gym. It's, it really struck me. I was I couldn't imagine. I'm like, funny. are you guys shooting roids up? Like, what are you doing in your gym? That's illegal. But just being in a gym with other people is now illegal. So thank you so much for joining us. You can subscribe on our page, if you're listening to us, you can find us whatever platform, iTunes, St- Stitcher, um, Blueberry. You can subscribe. We do this once a week, at least, right, Julie? At least yes, once. Yes, I a think week. we were going to before we were shut down by the government. Now that, yeah, now that the new normal is kind of like whatever prison break or something, we don't. We 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 have had to change the way we think about things. But thank you so much, and we will be back next week. And we'll see you on Twitter. And please subscribe. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.